Welcome to episode two of our very special series, In the Heights, El Sueñito, with star creator Lin-Manuel Miranda and longtime Hello. collaborators, writer-producer Kiara Alegria, Judes, and executive music producer Alex Lacamoire. How is everyone? Good, great. <laughs> so we're going to pick up right where we left off. You guys were talking about how you guys met and how the musical was coming together. And I feel like a lot of people go, oh, it must be easy to get a musical on Broadway. <laughs> no, <laughs> like... it just took, our, just took all of our 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about, like, okay, you finish the writing of it. And and uh, are you staging it as you go? Are you talking about the process of getting it up and on its feet and on a stage? Or what was the stage? How did it happen? Well, finishing and- the writing is doing, a, that sentence is doing a lot of work <laughs> because I never, <laughs> right. I never right. felt like we finished the writing of it. You know, um, again, we are uh, two unknown writers in the world. We're working with Tommy Kale, an unknown director. Our most famous uh, creative team member is Alex Lacamoire, and he is the associate conductor on Wicked. Um, <laughs> and um, we are just doing reading after reading. And um, w- w- what we had, which was really incredible, was the support of Jill Furman and the support of uh, Kevin McCollum, who was a producer on Rent, the musical that made me want to start writing musicals, um, yeah. and Avenue And so we we were lucky enough to go to, there's like major kind of milestones in that writing, one of which was um, the O'Neill Theater Center, which sort of accepts different shows in reading and workshop phases. And we spent two weeks on Eugene O'Neill's old estate. I don't think I slept more than uh, four hours a night. Uh, we just wrote and wrote and wrote. We brought up, you bring up your actors with you. There are people who bring you coffee and make copies for you. Um, interns who are also uh, aspiring playwrights and theater makers. And Kiara saw a ghost uh, in the middle of writing one night. Um, I I didn't see a ghost, but I, I, you know, I remember writing Blackout there. I had a Casio keyboard and I would wander around um, writing blackout and um actually i think we have a demo of it and (gasps) what's amazing about the demo is you can hear like the mic improve in quality over the years as i continue (laughs) to rewrite blackout from 2005 all the way till 2008 when we opened so in the beginning the mic is very much like this and then by the end the mic is getting better because (laughs) like technology (laughs) is advancing um so you can hear the new sections from the old sections um which is funny because the first thing we had to do for the movie version was rewrite a section of the blackout. I feel like I'll be rewriting the yeah. blackout as long as I live. <laughs> yeah. Can we can we play that? I hear the Casio. I hear the Casio. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. oh my god. 
And and like, I can hear how tired I was. I can hear the vocal parts that were recorded at three in the morning and I'm trying to be quiet, but still get, I'm like, <laughs> and I know I'm like trying not to wake up my bunk mates. What year is that? What year is that demo? That's, that's 2005. Two, 2005 that through 2008, because there's sections oh in it <laughs> that didn't exist in the first version. I think that version is the one that has We Are Powerless way too many times because I found it <laughs> and loved it so much that I put it throughout the thing. And they're like, all right, we don't have to have them sing We Are Powerless the whole time. And so, easy. yeah, yeah, easy, easy. Some of them are powerless. Um, and so, so yeah, so that was, I mean, it's a lot of being exhausted and writing that. And then, you know, we we performed at the end of our two-week O'Neill experience, and our producers said that thing that no one wants to hear, it's not ready. Mm. There's still too many storylines. I still don't quite know what the focus is, and um, that's very tough to hear after the work and the time we've been doing. But it was the right call, because right. we all turned to each other. At this point, Nina Rosario had a brother in the show named Lincoln Rosario. That was a major character. And we all turned to each other and said, I think we have to kill Lincoln. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and he was played by an amazing uh, singer and legend in our community, Huey Dunbar at the O'Neill um, of DLG. So like his songs were amazing and he sang the hell out of them. But we realized if we take out Lincoln, suddenly Nina gets all of this richness and she gets yeah. the, these complex issues with her father that we were exploring through Lincoln. And Nina becomes this like much richer and much more multidimensional wow. um, character. And so we then did a workshop of that in 2006. So who was that original cast? Was it just people you knew? So friends? many original like, casts. I mean, there were, there were people who, who were really there in the early versions. There were people who were just there at the O'Neill and then popped up later in our lives. Uh, oh, Rick wow. Negron is a great example. He played Kevin for the workshop and then like would go on to be our second Kevin uh, on Broadway. There And then there were a few people who were constants throughout. Uh, Doreen Montalvo um, was the first person to audition for us in 2002. She predates Kiara and Alex by two years um, and was in kind of every version of the show and became so, you know, played Benny's mother when Benny's mother was a character, um, played Camila, play, played Daniela, played everybody, and then became the, the cover for every single one of those roles. Um, wow. And she, she actually passed away last year. She was the first of our uh, Heights oh. family to pass away. And I'm so grateful that she actually plays her role in the movie. Uh, mm. She is that woman who sings, Mira, Nina, no me preocupo por ella, ah. in Breathe. And she's um, that on Broadway and in the movie. Um, and I'm so glad we never imagined anyone else for the movie but her. But she, yeah. I think she tracks the longest line. But people like Janet DeCall, Mandy Gonzalez did an early workshop, then booked a Broadway show, then came right. back to us to originate Nina on Broadway. Yeah. So, you know, so many actors over the years gave us so much information. Chris Jackson began by playing a Latino character. Benny was a Latino character, but then Chris yeah. was just so effortlessly charming. Yeah. That was actually one of the things that came out of the O'Neill was you've got 
Chris, who's so charming and and effortless, and he's playing this uh, Latino character, and it's like, just start writing for Chris. Um, yeah. And then we decided that character is African American, and and what what does that add to to sort right. of the mosaic of this neighborhood? And so again, like our actors gave us a lot of information wow. at every step. Of well, the there's so many. Again, we're going to talk about the movie in episode three, but there are so many hidden Easter eggs. In the movie, like you just said, you know, of people playing these tiny little parts and they pop up a lot of your Hamilton buddies as well. Um, so after the O'Neill, it goes yeah. to. We go to like one more workshop where we, <sighs> we, we sort of start working on the dance and, and what it looks like on its feet. And that was in 2006. And we uh -huh. recorded three songs from that workshop with like a three piece band. <laughs> and then we open off-Broadway in the winter of 2007. And you talk about when the writing is done. I told you that sentence did a lot of work. Um, Kiara, at this point in previews, is nine months pregnant. Um, oh, my gosh. And we are up against two deadlines. Um, <laughs> and Kiara, I think you should take over this part of the storytelling of, like, really when we kind of were pens down off-Broadway. You know, the, the writing is done in theater when the show, quote-unquote, freezes. When you cannot make any more script changes because technically there's no more time left to rehearse them. Yeah. Rehearse and your actors new. need to have a set thing to get their heads and hearts around. Right. It is a deadline based decision, you know, <laughs> and so off Broadway. And yeah, I was there for these workshops um, every step of the way. You know, I, I did see a ghost at the O'Neill and I wrote a lot of scenes that got thrown out, too. So there's like ghost scenes that also were created. <laughs> Um, yeah, the character of Lincoln, you know, became a kind of in the Heights ghost too. But by the time we got to off Broadway, there were some songs and some scenes off Broadway that we still couldn't crack. We tried, you know, and we made mm. strides, but we could feel we weren't totally there. And so the show was going to freeze at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. I can't remember that day. It was 5, and I was it was trying, 5 p.m. It was yeah. 5 p.m. I'm trying to write basically a punchline to button the scene, to end the scene on a kind of bright note. But I think Lynn and I knew that the song and the scene probably didn't work. We He had done so many lyric fixes on this song. I had done so many. It was a song Chris Jackson sang called That's What's Up which uh -huh. is a Chris Jackson-ism that I turned into a song. <laughs> and it's like, it just felt like it was trying to oversimplify something that we needed to let be more complicated. So I was just trying to write uh -huh. a funny line. I'm throwing lines at Mandy Gonzalez. I'm throwing lines at Chris Jackson. And then the stage manager was like, that's it. So I didn't even know. I didn't even remember what was the last line I threw at her. It was just like, okay, I guess that's it. And I went <laughs> off to dinner and I went into labor about... 20 minutes after I oh my <laughs> threw that God. last line at her. So it, my whole body was like, okay, you can release now. <laughs> yeah. And then, and we had a preview that night because this is the thing when you're, when you're working on theater, it's not that the show freezes or you finish writing the script and then performances start. No, you have this, this section of previews where you're seeing mm -hmm. what is the audience laughing at? Where is the audience crying? Where are they leaning in? And really you could feel the breathlessness you're watching their faces and going, okay, where are they like creating their to-do list for what they have to do in the morning? You know, like where are they tuning out? And then yeah. you're you're noticing that and you're paying attention. You're trying to write a better punchline. You're trying to write 
a better scene for the next day. And you do that for a few weeks. And that is mm. so stressful. And there's so much going on. And you're just part of you is just going, I hope they like me. I hope they like me. And the other part yeah. of you is going, all right, enough of that. Like, do the best writing you can. Shout out to Kiara's daughter, Cecilia, for waiting till the show was frozen to be like, <laughs> all right, all right, mom. <laughs> so what was the reaction? What was the early audience reaction? Audience, and then I want to talk about critical. There was there was 96,000. I mean, there's some things that just become consistent laugh lines, which is really cool. There's some things that are laugh lines more when there's more of a Latino audience versus a mm. general audience. And then there's some things like 96,000, for instance, is such an explosive song and you could feel the audience. This is I'm talking off Broadway here. You could feel the audience just elevate. You could feel the energy be electric in the theater. But then somehow by the end of the song that had dissipated. So that was one we knew we wanted to work on more to keep building that that electricity and that excitement all the way through to the very end. But again, we ran out of time and we didn't totally realize that in the moment. Um, mm. And same with it won't be long now. But with that one, we wanted it to have a softer ending. So how do you kind of manage those like explosive endings, those softer endings and keep the audience with you where you want them to be? So there's yeah. a lot of watching and learning, um, but yeah. it was really fun. You know, you could feel just like when Alex listened to that cassette and heard the clave beat. You could feel the audience have that experience of like, what is this? Who are these people? You know, they come in, they sit down, they've had a they've had too many drinks before coming to the theater or they've had a long work day. And that clave beat just starting out, it does something. It's like, yeah. come on. In. It's like a very soft, gentle entrance. And yeah. that you could feel like we were we were onto something. Yeah. The the clave beat is it's one of it's like kind of the DNA sequence of a lot of Latin rhythms. So it can go two, three or three, two. So you've heard people clap it in the dance clubs. It's just. Do we do it in that direction for in the heights or do we do? We bump, do three, two bump, at bump, the top. Bump, 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 yeah. bump. Bump, bump, bump. Lights up on Washington, Washington Heights. Up at the break of day, I wake up and I got this little punk I gotta chase away. Pop the grade at the crack of dawn, sing while I wipe down the awning. Hey y'all, good morning. Yeah. You know, it's. I, I think people forget we ran close to seven months off Broadway, and we did fine. Like the people that loved the show loved the show and kept coming back and we were a pretty cheap ticket. We were in a theater that no longer exists on 37th Street and 10th Avenue. Um, you know, the cast would go to their coffee shop, um, which was the gas station around the corner um, where they had a little <laughs> Duncan stand. Um, but that neighborhood, like it really like it wasn't really a neighborhood yet. Um, and it was hard for people to find us. And, you know, our, our producers were pretty committed to moving us on Broadway because we got lovely reviews. But there were there were a lot of people in the industry where they were like, you're not even selling out your off-Broadway house. Why are you coming in? How is that possible? Um, and we knew, you know, and again, like it was very surreal for me as as one of the writers to perform in this show every night, knowing what I wanted to do if I got another chance to yeah. to keep writing with Kiara and and land the button of ninety six thousand and land you know the 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 end of uh, it won't be long now um, and and reconfigure what happens instead of that's what's up um, like we had the mental checklist and um, again this isn't it's so hard because it's you only learn by doing. This is something we mm -hmm. talk about in the industry a lot. Like yes. all the internships in the world will not prepare you for putting a show on in front of an audience. And I had seven months of information 
in a tactile way as a performer as to right. what works every night, what only works when there's Latinos there, what works right. when there's tourists there. It takes them a little longer to get the Usnavi name joke. Um, like, <laughs> and so we just like, when we, when we finally got the call that we were, we had a theater and we were moving to Broadway, we had so much information. I, yeah. We knew exactly what we wanted to do and we were surgical about it. Like, I just remember like, I know exactly what needs to happen to elevate this to the next place. Wow. And you also know what works every night. So you know the tent poles to, to stick with and to build towards, like Paciencia right. y Fe. You could feel people connecting on a deep level in that theater, people connecting with their memories, people yeah. connecting, you know, people grieving, people being in gratitude to remember their elders or saying, hey, I'm that elder, you know, and loving <laughs> to see their stories. And now I'm wide awake. A million years too late I talk to you Imagining what you do Remembering what we went through Those yeah. are the the things that you know you're going to keep and just even build up more, and mm -hmm. you know that you that you're aiming for as you do the, some of the changes. Yeah. And Alex, what do you remember about that time? Do you did did you have the same emotions of like I get it, like guys, this is we got it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like uh, like Lynn, I was performing the show every night. I was conducting the show. And it's a different experience because, you know, I would have my headphones on and be very concerned about getting my piano parts played right and <laughs> leading the band and connecting with the cast. So, you know, I, I it wasn't the same experience as, as someone like Kiara who could actually sit in the house with the audience and feel what that energy is. I mean, yes, I could hear the applause. I could hear uh, uh, the reactions. But like Lynn said, I think that period of time that we had between Off-Broadway and Broadway was so crucial because I often think to myself, guys, I don't know, like, Kiara and Lynn, how you feel, but when I think about how different the show was off-Broadway, the fact that we had songs like Plan B off-Broadway, like, there's entire songs. Was Plan and, like, B off-Broadway? I've blocked yes. it out entirely. Dude, <laughs> I'm telling you. It's like, uh, the club number ended differently. You know, 96,000 had a different button, all those things. And we just made all these changes because, as Lynn said, we knew what it needed we, we knew what how to make it better and we just like drilled down and we just spent all that time just really you know uh, um cutting things that we didn't think needed to be there uh making endings stronger more powerful augmenting the size of the band uh uh you know adding rich moments like for example off broadway carnaval didn't have the whole parriba esa bandera moment at all All those things happen between Off-Broadway and Broadway in what is probably a four to five month span, which in now in retrospect seems crazy to me that we accomplished that much in that short amount of time, but we knew what we wanted to do. We just went in and drilled. Like the whole big ending, the carnaval. Oh my As God. Lynn said, once we we could tell that things weren't landing in the way that we intended them to, mm -hmm. that we weren't getting that sense of, of either connection or or applause, we can just tell that the audience wasn't just feeling uh, like completely satisfied at the end of a song. So we would just try to do what we could to get the songs to that level. There's there's a term in musical theater called the button. 
And that's the final moment in the song that makes you go, and start like (laughs) clapping. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a literal term. It's a practical term. Like the lights will bump. And that gives you a subconscious cue that this is over. Um, Uh And I hadn't gone to button school. No one teaches you how to write a great button (laughs) to a song. And most pop songs fade out. Like you don't learn that in pop music. Um, And so I really went to button school between Off-Broadway and Broadway. And we really like, you know, watched the musical numbers that we loved and like studied how they ended and figured out how to apply that uh, to our own thing. And for opening night on Broadway, uh, Tommy Kale gives me a box and it's a box of buttons of every shape and size. That was my opening night I want to talk about that. Opening night on Broadway, were you like... Holy shit, this is happening. Like, what were you feeling, Lynn, at the time? And and give us a picture. Like, where were you living? Were you like, I hope I make money on this? Yeah, I, I again, were you eating? like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again, I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm pretty morbid. I'm pretty superstitious. And I just was like, please, let's get this musical out of our heads and onto a stage. So for me, the first real triumph um, was the first preview on Broadway. And I made some crucial mistakes on that day. One, which is I my, my dad invited everyone he knew and mm-hmm. they were in the front row. Um, so literally all the people I love most in the world, like my college friends and my elementary school friends are in the front row to this thing that is not done yet. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. Come back in a month. We have so much to learn. Um, but also, I, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but again, I'm in my Broadway dressing room for the first time. It's like five minutes to places, which means the cast is going to gather in the basement and, and do a prayer in our, our prayer circle. And my family is hanging and I'm like, okay, you guys got to go. I got to get like my head right and, and do the show. And my family all leaves and my sister stays behind. My sister who is... Um, maybe the quietest member of my family, probably because she feels so much. And she turns to me, this is five minutes before my Broadway debut. And she goes, Ling-Manuel, I just want to say all those times that you wrote songs at the piano when we were little and I never listened and I wish I'd listened more. And it's like crying. And I'm like, uh, I can't have this conversation <laughs> now, Sita. I'm about to go do a two and a half hour show. Like this is a wonderful <laughs> moment of emotional catharsis. But like, not now. Not now. (laughs) I like pushed her sobbing out the door. So it was all like too much too soon. Um, And then, um, and then we learned again, so much through Broadway previews and that suite of No Me Diga, our really funny number into 96,000, which now has a killer button into Paciencia y Fe into when your home is this like crazy quadruple punch now um, and and really gives us this incredible um, head of steam going into the rest of the show. And so we, we just learned so much in that month so that by opening night, we really felt like this is our best swing. Like I, I really felt confident, like I, I'm sure there's a better show here, but I don't know how to write it yet. Like mm. we really, um, we, we, we did so much work um, in that month. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell my opening night story? Please, yeah. Alex. So one of my favorite memories is um, when we get to the finale of uh, of the show on opening night, 
And my family had flown up from Miami. And, and mind you, like my family had seen workshops along the way. Because as soon as I told them, you guys, I'm working on the show. And it's got Latin music in it. It's Spanglish. It, it, you know, I, I, they were fans from In the Heights, like, you know, before anyone knew what the show was. Right. And we get to the finale. And there's a moment where um, I don't actually play piano anymore. I, I gave all the piano parts to the second keyboardist so that I could lift up my hands and conduct and look at the stage and conduct the choir. And we get to that moment where, you know, on the conductor's podium, I have the best seat in the house, right? Like no one is closer to the stage watching it than me. <laughs> and then Lin-Manuel is right up there in front of me and he sings, he uh, raps that passage. I could say goodbye to you smiling. I found my island. I've been on it this whole time. I'm home. And Lin's voice breaks just enough because he just gets overwhelmed with emotion that I get overwhelmed with emotion. So my hands are up in the air conducting, and then it just hits me like, oh my God, we made it. Aww. We're here. We open. And I just start sobbing. I just my head goes down and like my hands are still waving in the air. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like we weeping uncontrollably because like I just felt, oh my God, we, we did it. You know, like here we are, you know, as we talked earlier about, about friends who found each other. And uh, yeah. we were just creating art because we believe in something. You know, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, we're gonna, we're doing this because we want to be famous. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like, we're doing this because we want to make money. Like, no, we're getting together because we love what we do. And there was no other real um, goal other than to just make something that we were proud of. And to make something that felt like it represented us and, and make something with our friends. And everything else was just like icing on the cake. Yeah. And to know that we had achieved it. That just, the opening night just felt like a mile marker. And I, I suppose all those years of work, all those nights staying up late to worry about whether or not the hi-hat should play on beat four or not. You know, <laughs> stressing about every choir, harmony, all that stuff. It just came, it's just that sense of, 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 of completion. And it just felt so wonderful to have arrived there because I yeah. felt like everything in my life led up to that moment. And oh it, just, it was a big mile market for me. That is a beautiful way to wrap up uh, episode two about the play. This show went on to be nominated for 13 Tony Awards and won four, uh, run over a thousand performances on Broadway, and it launched a truly remarkable journey for Lin-Manuel Miranda and his collaborators that would take them through Hamilton, which won 11 Tonys and a Pulitzer Prize, no less, uh, music for a massive hit Disney animated film, Moana, and a lot of trips to the White House. And then the proposal to make In the Heights into a full feature film with Warner Brothers. Uh, that's where we're going to pick it up for our third and final episode, dropping tomorrow, June 4th. Um, Lynn, will you tell us about the book, though? Because the book is the play, correct? Yeah. So, uh, again, <laughs> if, if, if In the Heights was born as an idea at age 19, it's old enough to drink. <laughs> 41 years old. It's, uh, <laughs> our baby is a grown thing. And, and um, you know, during, during the, the pandemic, we, we got together and sort of started chronicling the journey with um, Jeremy McCarter, who wrote the book about the making of Hamilton. He, he's written these essays on the 20-year journey from, from Wesleyan to, uh, from that first production 
unfortunate Wesley into the, the movie version that we're all going to see. Um, and, and Kiara's written essays for that book, and I've written annotations uh, to all the lyrics. So, so a lot of these stories are also in that book. And that'll come out June 15th. It's called In the Heights, Finding Home. June 15th, the book. And uh, tomorrow we have the third and final episode of In the Heights, El Sueñito. This has been a production of the My Cultura Podcast Network, and we will see you tomorrow. <laughs>